Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside GBB Live, the 3ND Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. And you can find the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation you can find on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and first I'll introduce my co-host, Nate, the champion, Chester. Nate, how's it going? Parker, I don't really feel like a champion, man. I've had COVID. My mom has COVID. I have a massive ear infection. I, what am I a champion of right now? <laughs> life, as uh, life. Jones would life. say. Yeah, champion I'll take, I'll take it. I, I'm a survivor. I'm an overcomer. I'll take it. Yeah, we also have with us a special guest this week. We have Grind City Media's John Roser. John, how are you doing, sir? Yo, what's up? I am, I am fantastic. Uh, the 49ers uh, re-signed Trent Williams, like the best left tackle in the NFL. And uh, according to Mike Lombardi, uh, Deshaun Watson either wants to go to the 49ers or the Broncos. So being one of his two finalists, like, I'm having a fantastic day right now. That, that is a very lit day. It's very nice to see our secondary teams thriving. We also have a Grizzlies game tonight against the Miami Heat, so I'm hoping that they can turn the misfortune around and overcome the reigning Eastern Conference champions in what I have called the Parker Fleming Super Bowl. And <laughs> so- You and I have had conversations up. Uh- uh, let's say off the air, and we uh, I think we are both big fans of the Miami Heat and the Heat culture. The Heat culture, absolutely. Massive fan of the Heat culture. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. I, I can name down the whole roster pretty much. You want to know what my, hey, you want to know what my favorite part of Heat culture is? What's that? It's got no room for anti-Semitism. That's right. That's right, <laughs> yep. <laughs> The Miami Heat just traded away Myers Leonard, and uh, he's made some airwaves with um, his remarks on a live stream. And But what I'm here for, what John's here for, what Nate's here for is we want to do something fun because the NBA top shot phenomenon has ran across all of NBA Twitter. I, I saw a feature on it this, uh, this morning, actually. That was shared by uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy, formerly of The Ringer. And I, I'd actually been having uh, conversations with John here because he introduced Top Shot to me, uh, has been giving me tips on which players I should go out and try to get and potentially flip or players I should go out and try to keep. So, uh, John, before we get started with our draft of all-time Grizzly moments we would want as Top Shots, for anybody that's a, a novice top shotter or someone who's never heard of it before, just to kind of explain what it is to people. I mean, it's basically um, NBA crypto. It's basically NBA cryptocurrency. And, you know, I kind of, uh, 
you know, look, I, I missed out on Bitcoin. Like when Bitcoin first came out, like I'm looking, I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't, I'm like what, what do you mean? Like crypto, what am I buying with this? You know? Um, and so I never got involved in the Bitcoin thing or anything like that. And, you know, it seems to be that these NFTs, um, it's the way everything's going in cryptocurrency. Uh, it's a way, it's a, it's a way, you know, that, that the world is going. Um, it's basically digital trading cards. Um, and we live in a society where if you just start from like, maybe like, you know, the internet comes around in what the late nineties or mid nineties or whatever. And it's, you know, AOL and all that. And then slowly, slowly evolves and becomes what it is today. And you just see the world is now, everything is connected by the internet. We are doing this Zoom meeting. We are all Wi-Fi connected doing it right now. Um, and everything in, this, in, in, in the world is just more and more, is going more and more towards being digitized. And, um, and so this was something when Adam Lefko, who does you know Tuesday nights on TNT, uh, the, the NBA stuff. And then he also does some stuff for, Ble for Bleacher Report for the NFL. Um, when he came on, he, he came on with us because he texted Vernon and he said, hey, me and some buddies bought this, bought this for $35,000. And it is a John Morant, it is John Morant's dunk on Aaron Baines. And, um, and Chris was like, what in the world? And then we started looking into it and hearing more and more about it. And basically how it's like, it's, it's, it's a form of art, you know, like if, you know, like, so if, if I walked into somebody's house and they said, I have like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a Salvador Dali or something like an original Salvador, which, which would be really cool to look at. Like, you know, it would be cool. But then I have this PSA 10, uh, Michael Jordan 1986 Fleer rookie card. I'm going to go look at that Michael Jordan 1986 PSA 10 Fleer rookie card because right. that's what I care more about. That's a piece of art to me uh, that means more than, you know, a Salvador Dali would. So um, I, I think it has clearly picked up more and more steam. Adam Lefko came on our show and then it started being written. I mean, ESPN has written about it. Brian Windhorse has done podcasts about it. Um, Sports Illustrated wrote about it today, and actually, in that Sports Illustrated story, it says the WNBA, which is not surprising here, with their you know being owned by the NBA. There's a WNBA Top Shot coming, and also he mentioned that the UFC and Dana White have reached an agreement with Dapper Labs, who is the company that is they're based out of uh, Vancouver, I believe. Um, that they are the ones, Dapper Labs, that are doing all the moments and everything, and that they have reached an agreement with the UFC to do stuff, and that that apparently Major League Baseball and the NFL and the NHL are also in talks with either Dapper or other companies to do this. Um, basically, I look at it as a form, it's like digital trading cards, because like I, so I went to a card show a couple, like a month ago, uh, me and Chris Vernon did, I went to a card show, and I bought a couple of, uh, I got a couple of rookie cards of Brandon Ayuk, the 49ers wide receiver that they just took last year out of Arizona State. Um, I got like three rookie cards of his. Okay, so now if I want to flip these at some point, I have to send them off to PSA or Beckett to get them graded. And God knows, I mean, so I got to pay extra for that. And then God knows how long it's going to take them to get back to me. And then I have to list them on eBay. Then they actually have to sell. And then I have to mail them to somebody. Whereas here... For people who just like to flip, you, you like to flip trading cards, 
you cut out all of that process completely. I mean, go tell like a 15 year old or a 14 year old about the card process of selling and trading cards. And then they're going to look at you like you're insane. Like, what do you, what do you go through all that work for? So I'm all in on top shot. I actually, uh, I bought another John Morant moment uh, today. Nice. Um, his series two, uh, which is LE limited edition out of, there's only 15,000 of these moments. I bought one when it originally, when they originally dropped, I bought it for like $39. It got, it went way, way up. Um, but as they started to release, they released, I think some of the last of these packs that have the, uh, the limited editions that are out of 15,000 um, people, there are people that just want to sell them and make a quick profit. Mm -hmm. Well, someone like Ja, someone like LeBron, Zion, Steph Curry, uh, Kawhi Leonard, like basically your superstars. Even I, I kind of like, I kind of think there's some low prices on Damian Lillard out there with the way he has been. And he just dropped 50 last night. Um, like some of these real superstars, Anthony Davis, like you can get these. And those are ones that I would hold on to because who knows what those things are going to be worth in 10 to 15 years. Um, so I bought a job. I bought the one this morning. It dropped to $108, the one I got. And I, I scooped it up. I was like, because I, I mean, that thing has easily, for the last like month or two, it's been selling at around like 130 or 140 Well, I just got it at 108 And I think as, you know, they continue to release more and more stuff that, you know, once you realize, well, wait, there are only 15,000 of that John Morant moments. You have like over 200,000 people or 300,000 people that are signed up for Top Shot. You have over 100,000 people that actually own a moment on Top Shot. Like, I just think that's going to have a lot of long-term value going forward. So I'm all in on it, man. Mm -hmm. John, that was an extremely long-winded answer i know yeah john you just said a lot of things and i have a question parker this is more for you like are we getting paid for this because i think roser just gave like a long promo for this thing i think we should be getting paid for this right now I, hey, if top shot was paying me i would cut you guys in but i'm not getting paid by them either <laughs> no hey hey what i did what i'll do is whenever i post this i'll tag top shot in it see if we can at least get some extra clout with it but no, it, hey, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'll send us packs. Maybe they'll send us some free packs. I like the way you're thinking. I yeah. mean, if we were if we if we were Tyrese Halliburton or Josh Hart, yeah, they'd send us packs. But I mean, hey, it's worth a shot. Yeah, no, I I feel so bad because I I just went back into my DMs. I DM'd the Top Shot Twitter account over a month ago in January, January 4th, 2021, I'd asked them basically just what it is. Just like if I, when I order it, it's just, it sounded really stupid for me. It's like a, a, a physical block that I get to that comes to the mail or if it's all virtual. So they sent me their link and I wish I would have kind of hopped on the craze a little sooner, but you know, we're here. I got some good packs. Uh, find me on a uh, top shot at DB Island 24. I got a De'Aaron Fox and Paul George moments for sale for $50. So make sure you uh, go check out what I have over there. But I, I sold a, uh, I sold a Donovan Mitchell this morning for $121. Um, and then I've been trying to get rid of this Chris Middleton forever. I'm just trying to clean out some of my stuff. Um, so I can go after some bigger things that I think hold more, hold, mm -hmm. hold more long-term value. I finally sold a Chris Middleton. If I could freaking sell this Pascal Siakam I have, it would be amazing. Um, but seemingly nobody wants to buy the Pascal Siakam I have. So. You, know how, you know how I feel right now? I feel like I would never got into Pokemon when I was younger, but my friends were into Pokemon. 
And this is what it sounded like to me when they were discussing like their different cars, the different uh, video games for Game Boy Advance they got. And I'd just be sitting there listening like, yep, sounds good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, well, here's like it. So like I, I'll tell you the two of the things that a couple of the ones that I have made that I have made, I think I like they I'm like, OK, I, I did good on these. Um, <laughs> me and Vernon and Devin. We all went in on a, a John Morant series one, and it's there's only a thousand of them made, so it's limited. It's a limited edition. There's only a thousand of them they ever made. They're not going to make any more than that. Um, they're not going to put any more of that out. Um, it's the dunk on Aaron Baines. We put probably each of us. We all three split it. Um, we put each hundred and eighty three dollars in to buy it. Um, so it's like five hundred and something was the total for it. The lowest you can get that moment for now is I think $7,500 or $8,000 right now. That's the lowest you can buy it for. I also bought a Jared Jackson Jr. moment from his uh, – when he drove baseline in Orlando and dunked on, I think, Jonathan Isaac um, and then did, did kind of a shimmy afterwards. I paid 100 for it, and I think the cheapest you can get it for now is like 2500 or three grand. Um, and then I bought James Wiseman's uh, rookie moment. I bought that for 145, and I think the cheapest on that is like 1100 right now. Um, so, and you know, there's some other ones I have that have a lot of value. Obi Toppin's rookie I bought for like 30 or 40 dollars, and it's now like over 300 and something, almost 400. And I've got Precious Achua's that I didn't pay that much for, and it's like 300 bucks now. So. Um, yeah, a lot. I, I tell I would tell people if you can get rookies, get rookies and hold on to rookies because they're going to start doing some other stuff, too. They're going to start adding uh, badges to these that say, like, this is your first top. This is this player's first top shot moment. This was this player's first NBA game. This was this player's first NBA bucket. Um, they're going to add those to them. And I think that's coming in April. And all that's going to do is add value. And actually, Vernon just sent me this story from Pro Football Talk. And it is a huge story, and it's out of the Sports Business Journal that uh, the NFL recognizes what is going on, um, and they are attempting to come up with a strategy to how they can do NFTs with the NFL. So, mm. um, yeah, because two of the players who have who are who are really uh, big into it um, apparently are Patrick Mahomes and Rob Gronkowski. So, nice, gotcha. That'd be really sick. But, no, uh, the, the NFL would do massive. I mean, can you imagine the, the Hale Murray this year that Kyler Murray threw to DeAndre Hopkins when they beat Buffalo at the buzzer? Um, like, Minneapolis I mean, miracle. Or the, oh, um, tons. Yeah. I mean, tons of things. Ton, and, and, and that's where Top Shot, like, Top Shot does do a run it back series um, where they have old, uh, where they do old things. Like, I know, I know Tim Duncan's got a moment on there. Kevin Durant's first moment was actually – uh, was in the run it back series from him with the thunder. And I know they have announced the upcoming run it back series. I don't know when they're going to be released, but uh, I know three of the players in it that are going to have run it back moments are Tracy McGrady, Allen Iverson and Shaquille O'Neal. So that's something that's like, can you imagine if they ever got to a point where a run it back series had Jordan's final shot against Utah? Yeah. I mean, like what would that sell for if you had like the right number on it? If you had like Jordan's jersey number as the serial number, like, I mean, that God, I mean, how, I don't know how many million that could sell for. Yeah, that was my question was thinking about like how do retro moments play into this? Because one that comes to mind for me 
if we're going to talk about Grizzlies moments as a whole, um, Zach Randolph, jab step three, game four, uh, the 2011 quarterfinals against the Spurs. No, game three, excuse me. Yeah, it was game three. Yeah, Grizzlies offense has gone stagnant. Um, the Spurs are catching back up. I think the Grizzlies are up by two with about maybe 30 to 40 seconds left at this point. And Zach Randolph's got the ball on the right wing. Nothing is going. Like, there's no movement on offense. Less than five seconds left on the shot clock. And he just says, the hell with it. I'll shoot this shot. <laughs> and Tim Duncan doesn't close out because, I mean, why would you close out on a Zach Randolph three at that time? And Zach nails it. The Grizzlies go up by five. And they end up winning that game and, of course, winning that series as far as retro moments go that's the first one that comes to mind for me no that i i mean i've got a bunch and i've got different things here too because there's a bunch of stuff that they can do with this um with having these in, i mean think about how big like player entrances are now like all these like, like the mavericks i don't know if you've seen this um but if you ever get, look up the mavericks on like look up their twitter or instagram they built a special thing just for player entrances and it's like the background like adapts to it's like changes based on what the players are wearing and things like that. Like it's really crazy. Like they can do stuff with that. I mean, they're, I mean, it really is like there's no telling, there's no telling what they can do. Like they, I mean, they just have so many different things to choose from. Um, you know, Dapper Labs, they just recently announced their next round of investing. They're looking, it's uh, they're rounding up $250 million worth of investing they have been given a valuation of two billion dollars so um you don't get a valuation of two billion dollars because you don't know what you're doing oh yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and so we're gonna let's go ahead and uh, get started with our top shot draft of all time nba moments and so how this will work is we'll do a four round snake draft uh, core four because of the podcast core four obviously. And with the very first pick, we'll take it over to Roser. Okay. For, I mean, just because of Grizzlies history, um, Shane Battier's three to win that, that, that won the first playoff game uh, for the game. The Grizzlies, their first playoff win in franchise history. Now, and it, what's crazy is the very next possession after that, Richard Jefferson has like the most wide open three ever. and He missed it. Um, So it, it, it technically, it wasn't like a buzzer beater, but, but, uh, I don't think any any Grizzlies fan who's been around for the last, you know, 15 to 20 years, you'll never forget that play. You'll never forget that batty A3. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember we we were having like a little like watch party at our house, like watching the Grizzlies playoff game because I think it was like the first one in like five years or so. It had been a few years, yeah. Yeah, so we we watched it and – we all got super hype over the Shane Battier three. It was really cool uh, coming like full circle kind of things because he was on that first iteration of the playoff teams. And then he got traded away and then came back that season through a trade and ended up hitting probably one of the biggest shots in the team's history. So, uh, yeah, I really like that pick a lot. I mean, I don't know if they win the series if they don't win that game. I no, they probably, they probably don't. And I think people forget just how inevitable playoff failure for the Grizzlies seemed back then because it's irritable of a sports fan as I am now. I was even more irritable back then. 
And throughout that game, it was kind of a back-and-forth affair. I think the Grizzlies had like a small lead in the third quarter. And then San Antonio went on a big run early in the fourth. They took a double-digit lead. And I think I got mad and frustrated and just changed the channel. And then I came back like 10 or 15 minutes later, and it was like basically a tie ball game. But if you had followed the team for that length of time, it just, it just didn't matter. It just felt inevitable they were going to fall short. And when Batye hit that three, I remember, I don't, I'm trying to think of how old I was back at that time, like 14 back at that time, 13 years old. And I tell my dad, I said, they're going to the NBA finals. Uh, they, won, <laughs> they, they, they won a playoff game now. There's no stopping them. <laughs> There's no limit to what they could achieve. But it really felt like that narrative had been flipped on its head that this team can't accomplish something great. And no, it, no you're right. And, and they had done really well against what did we win? Like three out of four against the Spurs in the regular season or something that like we had yeah. done, but it is, it is a totally different game in the playoffs. And you, you felt how much their confidence grew after it's a different thing when you beat the Spurs in the regular season. And then when you beat them in a playoff game on the road, you knew their confidence grew so much after that first game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nate, you are up with the second pick. I'm going to get a little bit niche here, but not too niche because I think this is arguably the most memorable regular season game in franchise history. But I'm going to go back to December of 2014 with the Grizzlies triple overtime thriller against the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio. And don't hold me to this. I'm not sure it was the end of the first overtime or the second overtime. But Marcus all like, he gets caught at the top of the three-point line. They're down by three. And he throws up a leaning three that's an absolute prayer and banks it in. And you could just hear the entire air out of that arena just get entirely sucked out. And that was not the last crazy moment that happened in that game, to say the least. But it was one of the most memorable regular season moments in franchise history. Oh, no, that, that's that's absolutely true because the Grizzlies did not win in San Antonio very much in the regular season like they rarely ever do. Um, that I, I do remember. So I was at a bar with friends watching that game. And, like, I was, you know, everything was fine. But then when it goes to triple overtime, you just start to realize, I'm like, man, I've weighed. I've had a little too much now. Like, yeah. You expect the game to be over with after 48 minutes. And the next thing you know, it's triple overtime. It's like, well, yeah, I guess I'll take another one. Bring me another one. And then I'm like, oh, man. The crazy thing about that game was I remember uh, this was the key narrative going into that season that the Grizzlies are going to make it to the finals. They're going to have to go through San Antonio to do it. Now they ended up falling short to Golden State, but San Antonio was coming off a title the earliest year, and it just seemed like the dynasty was unbreakable. Their system, the machine was just unbreakable in every way. And it's like they've had our number ever since 2013. They've whipped us every single time they've seen us since then. It's like we have got to beat them on the road just to prove to ourselves that we can beat this team. And uh, Kawhi Leonard wasn't even playing in that game in my memory. And San Antonio just would not die. I'm like, it's a regular season game in December. We want this far more than you do and Boris Diaz hitting clutch threes and it's like would you just roll over and die and they hung on to the final buzzer the third overtime well speaking of the speaking of the Spurs right there too um I don't know if this is a hot take to anybody but uh that Spurs team that won the title the year before 
at least in my lifetime, that is the most underrated championship team ever. Yeah. That team was so awesome and played like some of the most beautiful basketball I've ever seen. I mean, they waxed Miami in those finals. They were like men on fire in that series. They absolutely waxed them up and down the floor. It is the reason LeBron James ended back up in Cleveland. Yep. Mm-hmm. They changed the course of NBA history. I don't think that's an exaggeration to say that. Yeah. They did. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I get the next two picks, and I'll stay in the Spurs fan for the first pick. And I'm going to go with the Marcus Gasol 2007 game or 2017 game four buzzer beater against the Spurs. That one that he hit over the Marcus Aldridge. Yep. Probably right there with Battier as the most iconic shot in Grizzlies playoff history. It was just like probably like one of the most purely designed plays. They had been going to Mike Conley all game. They fade the handoff and Gasol just turns and fires a nice like Dirk-esque fadeaway at the top of the key. And it was just perfect. And just being there in the arena at that moment, like it was probably one of the loudest I've ever heard the FedEx form. Oh, it was, it was, yeah, I remember that. It was absolutely electric. Um, And, you know, I know they did a, it's before they called it Beyond Grit, but they put out like a video of Mike Blevins, who runs the video uh, operations over there for the Grizzlies. They put out an entire video of that game, um, you know, the day after. Like, I think Blevins was up to like five in the morning putting that thing together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and they and it's, you know, they, they've got the call of Fisdale in the huddle telling, uh, they like, he's like, what, bring us home, big fella, or something, something like that. He says to Gasol, and then, you know, Threw it in. He got the. He got it and made the shot. Yeah. Two nice. things I remember the most about that game. First thing is that I was watching it with one of my fraternity brothers, and we were using the ESPN app in my dorm room at college. And I remember how irritating it was. It's my fault. I should have known better to stay off social media. But if you use the app, your stream is always going to be a little bit behind. And so I get all these tweet notifications showing up like, let's go, everything like that. I'm like, the Grizzlies haven't even inbounded the ball yet on my stream. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still happy about it, but it's still pretty irritating. The other thing was, is that as great of a season as Mike Conley had, I think there was still this narrative that, oh, San Antonio is going to slap Kawhi on him and, like, that's going to be the end of that. Like, the Grizzlies aren't going to be able to get any type of consistent perimeter offense and Kawhi is just going to shut the water off. It was that game that I think Conley came into his own. And granted, it didn't last long. He, he got hurt the next season. And it's really – it's great he made an all-star team this year. But he's never really been able to replicate this type of performance since then. But it, it was just a moment – where he really came into his own. It's like, I've reached a level of stardom that it doesn't matter what you throw at me. I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm going to overcome. And he matched Kawhi Leonard shot for shot throughout that fourth quarter, all the way up to the end of overtime. And Marcus Gasol did make that shot. So that was a very cool moment to see, especially when you remember just how blasted Conley was throughout his early years in Memphis that he was never going to be anything substantial that he was never going to be a great starting point guard and to see him become that was very satisfying for somebody who'd grown up watching him play at that point uh, I'm totally guilty of that I was totally guilty of ripping Mike Conley left and right over and over again that was the game like it remember like the grit like it probably shouldn't have come down to that point but like 
Kawhi Leonard, I remember, like, Kawhi did go, like, Superman. Mm-hmm. Like, he did, he scored, like, 16 points in the final four minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. I be, I, wasn't that the one? That it, was the it, one? It was Jordan-esque. It's on it, par. It was, the same. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, my, my next pick, probably one of my favorite regular season moments, and that's the Rudy Gay buzzer beater over LeBron James. Yeah. Because – it was the very first time that the Heatles had come to Memphis. I still – I think either Bosch or Wade were out of that game. It didn't matter. You had all these people rushing in with their LeBron jerseys for the Heat, and it was just loud as hell for the Miami Heat. And, you know, me being a teenager, I was bitter that LeBron had left Cleveland and went to go join a super team in Miami and thought it was super unfair. And then Rudy Gay just hits one of the most – clutch shots of his career and it's a nice little fadeaway over LeBron while going baseline and like my seats where I had season tickets they are right they're in that section 109 so it was like right in front of where it happened and oh, man yeah. how it, that that picture like still to this day is still one of like the coolest pictures and coolest moments in regular season history so I got to go with the Rudy Gay one for number four the other thing about that game too that I think some people forget uh it, although it was very early in the season, the season was in jeopardy of falling apart. Yeah. The Grizzlies went on. To, the Grizzlies went on to make the playoffs and beat the Spurs and to, you know with the seven games of the Thunder. Um, and but OJ Mayo and Zach Randolph both didn't start that game because they were late to shoot around or something or miss shoot around. I think it was they were late to shoot around. Um, because the Grizzlies, I think, had lost a few. How many how many of the Grizzlies lost in a row? It's like four or five in a row leading they up were, to the game. They were five and ten at that time. Okay, five and ten. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, like it the season was like it was like, okay, if we just get blasted by them, this is gonna go the wrong way. Like this can go the wrong way fast. Mm-hmm. And Zebo, yeah, Zebo didn't start, OJ Mayo didn't start because of that. And uh, because they because they were late for shoot around, and then when the Grizzlies came out and went one, I mean that that helped that helped start changing the momentum of that season. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we'll get the box score now, and just like a synopsis of where we've come, how far the NBA has come since then. In that game, the Grizzlies won. Obviously, it was a low scoring game, ninety seven, ninety five. They were one for eleven from three. <laughs> well, that's how it's looked like in the last couple of nights as well but i'm actually doing research for my piece right now about how the grizzlies over rely on floaters and don't shoot enough threes and they're 28th in the league right now while attempting 28 threes a game um, i forget who's first but whoever was first averages 42 a game i just went in curiosity and looked back to 2003 2004 the first year the grizzlies made the playoffs in memphis um, whoever led the league in three-pointers attempted that year attempted 15 a game. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just absolutely absurd how much the game has changed, even in 15 to 20 years, even in five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just – it is, man. I mean, the, the, I mean, is it – I mean, it, it is – so I was listening to this podcast. Um, I, it was actually Doug Gottlieb. And well, it's Colin Cowherd's podcast, but he had Doug Gottlieb on because they want to talk about the NCAA tournament. And it's crazy, like how we you give did 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 you know like still like Mike D'Antoni came came into the NBA with, with he got Steve Nash and them, and it was 
they went as fast as they could and they they started taking a lot of threes and then kind of Daryl Morey kind of took that and put it on steroids you know uh with what he did with the Houston Rockets but it is like the the first head coach in basketball to really utilize the three-point shot and say, all right, this is something we're going to do and we're going to take a lot of these was Rick Pitino. Um, Rick Pitino tried, was doing this forever ago, whether it was Providence, the New York Knicks, and then at Kentucky. Kentucky is where it really, really started taking off because um, those Kentucky teams that he had were, were dynamite. But but it is kind of it is kind of interesting you talk about, yeah, the evolution of the three-point shot and how it worked in the game. Because even after Patino was kind of gone there for a little bit after Kentucky, when he went to the Celtics, it kind of died off a little bit there because basketball was getting more of a, it became more of an isolation based game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you could be more physical. You could hand check guys and put your hands on them. Um, and then, you know, so, so the game became a little bit different. And then, you know, Dan Tony did kind of help bring that back, but it is interesting. Like Rick Patino was doing this, forever ago mm-hmm. i'll go on the record and say i'd fire penny hardaway for rick patino tomorrow but that's neither <laughs> here nor there hey i told uh i told john martin uh when tubby smith was gone i was like they need to hire rick patino <laughs> i said they need to hire rick patino and he's like dude you can't hire rick patino i'm like why can't you hire rick patino <laughs> you can why? hire him now yeah, the university of now. memphis is some we are some beacon school of morals <laughs> like you know <laughs> Like two, like two of our three final fours have been taken away. Like, I mean, like, like we've been a school that plays by the rules. Roser, if I knew for a fact that Charles Manson would get the Memphis Tigers back to the NCAA tournament, I'd strongly consider it at this point. Okay, well, that's a little too far now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're going a little too far. Here. <laughs> <laughs> we might be stepping out of bounds. Yeah, we are out of bounds. The Tiger basketball coach. No, I think Penny will get him back there. Um, look, Penny, what, what, what we're getting off here, but like Penny said, you know, like they that did. Are they one of the 68 best teams in the country? Yes, they are at the end of the season. Yes, they are. But that's not what matters. Like your resume says you're not. Like you got to have the resume and they didn't have a resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of got caught up in the fact that really there's never been a successful coach in the history of University of Memphis that didn't make the tournament in their first three years there. And I feel like the goalposts shift every single year. You know, year one, there wasn't much expectations. Year two, uh, you were supposed to have Wiseman. You didn't have Wiseman, so it didn't work out that way. And I remember a lot of people, including John Martin and Jason Smith, saying, hey, year three, it's got to come together. And, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't. And now I'm hearing people say, well, Kelvin Sampson didn't make the tournament at Houston until year four. And like the goalpost is going to continue to shift because people want Penny to be successful. I want Penny to be successful, but um, he's a young coach. He's growing. It's not a positive sign to me when you get the type of recruiting classes that he does and you cannot get your team inside the top 300 in offensive efficiency. You're the worst turnover team in the entire country. You know, the free throws are an issue. That's been an issue for like the better part of 50 years for Memphis basketball. So I'm not going to harp on that too much. There are signs to me that he could somehow figure it out with the caliber of players that he's getting. And by the same token, there are plenty of signs that show me like for all the talent he's getting, he may just not know what he's doing at the end. of It the is game. wild because they are so awesome defensively. 
Mm-hmm. They are so awesome defensively. Oh, yeah. And they, and they could not be more, like, just inept on offense. <laughs> like, it, it, it really is. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the last, le- the last thing I'll say about it is, like, are we sure that, like, how great they are defensively doesn't impact their offense? And I don't mean that in a positive way. You think it would be because you're creating turnovers, you're getting steals, you're getting out in transition, you're getting easy baskets. But think about it. If you're pressing for 10 and 15 minutes at a time, time even with an extended rotation like he likes to use do you think that doesn't affect your energy level that that doesn't affect your conditioning in the sense that like tired legs affects ball handling it affects your decision making it affects turnovers it affects free throw shooting and there's a part of me that wonders are you trading your offense for your defense this great defense come at the expense of your offense to a certain degree and you know that was the type of questions he has to answer at the end of the no, day. I mean, no, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it, it might. But I, I also think the other part of it, too, why they might be so good defensively is, like, deep down, like, it like, could be, like, some of the offense thing might be psychological with them. And so it's like, okay, we know we have to get a stop. We have to get this stop. We have to get this next stop. We have to get the stop after that. Like, they know they have to because it's a challenge for them to score. Yeah, and so, uh, Nate, you have the next pick here in our – in our draft. Yeah, we kind of got off there. <laughs> natural, natural conversation, evolution. It's all good here. But next pick for me, hmm. I'm going to have to go. What I forget how many he made. Whatever was the last three that Jaron Jackson made in the third quarter against the Milwaukee Bucks oh. back in December of 2019. Like oh that was God. one of the most insane six-minute stretches that I think I've ever seen from any NBA player ever. He was so gassed, too. Mm-hmm. He was so tired by the end of that quarter. Um, I mean, he had single-handedly brought the Grizzlies back in that game, and what we had to lead, I believe, um, or we were right there. And, uh, oh, Jared was so awesome in that quarter. Got a standing ovation from everyone. And then the most deflating thing of the game – because Bruno was still on the team, right? Yep, mm. was. Yeah, Bruno made the decision to go and uh, say something to Giannis, who was on the bench. They had history together. They right. have history together. Well, Bruno, um, Giannis is a lot better than you and everybody else on the court. And Giannis, I think, ended up playing the entire fourth quarter. It just totally took over the game I don't remember how many he scored in the fourth quarter but it was like whether it was rebounds or six points like do he I mean Giannis totally dominated the fourth quarter and took the game over Jared came back in at some point but I think he was just he was gassed so much from that third quarter run I'm looking at the uh, play-by-play recap of that fourth quarter. Basically, it's just Giannis Antetokounmpo makes two-point shot. Giannis Antetokounmpo makes two-point dunk. Makes <laughs> layup over and over again. Yes. I mean, it, 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 yeah, I mean, he totally dominated the fourth quarter. Bruno made him mad. Um, crowd's going crazy. And Giannis is like, hey, uh, Coach Bud, I'm going back in. <laughs> I'm going to shut these people up real quick. Yeah, one of our favorite comparisons for Jaron on the blog, and I'll give Joe Mullinax the credit on this one. He likes calling him 6'11", Clay Thompson. And what he did in that third quarter was very reminiscent of Clay Thompson, just like three after three, just kind of looked like everything he was going to throw up, he was going to make it. There was one where he just like fired it, probably the, the most out-of-control uh-huh. form or anything ever it just yeah. looks like he's just like okay i got it i'm just gonna fire it up and see if this goes in and it sure enough it just banks in and 
you know, it's just why we like to call Jaron the unicorn, because that, that's some stuff that I, you don't really see as seven foot big men at all going on a, a quarter long heat check from three. That's pretty much unheard of for anybody that's seven foot or taller, unless your name's Kevin Durant. No, and I know, and, 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 and I know some, of the, some of the stuff, the criticism of the Grizzlies right now have been like they don't take enough threes. Like we do realize Jaron will fix a ton of that because that's about eight threes a game that the Grizzlies aren't getting up that Jaron will get up and he will shoot a very high percentage there, you know, as he gets as he works himself back in. Uh, no, I like that. I like the – well, it's actually funny. You mentioned the Kevin Durant thing. I mean, that's his favorite player. Yeah. Jaron's favorite player is KD. I mean, he wears KDs. He wears his shoes. Um which I, Jaron and I have that in common. KD, like outside of Ja, KD's my favorite player too, so. Yeah, and it, it's also really cool too because you can – I remember I asked in this back in one of the Zoom calls that we had had between the hiatus and the bubble, and I'd asked him who he's been modeling his game after because it was just this video somebody posted and it was basically just Jaron hitting a bunch of pull-up threes, and he brought up Durant, but he's also like, yeah, I watch a lot of Bradley Beal too, and you're like – Okay, I never hear of a seven-foot big man saying that they want to model their game after Bradley Beal. So that was really cool to see. And, yeah, I agree. A lot of the issues that are surrounding the Grizzlies and, like, offensive efficiency, stuff like that, I'm sure Nate's going to probably touch on it in his piece. Yeah, but... I've also story written about, like, how adding Jaron back to the mix would definitely help with matters much. But since y'all mentioned Kevin Durant, you know what's the one area of Kevin Durant's game that I want to see Jaron Jackson uh, replicate in particular? Rebounding. <laughs> uh, I was going to say 2.3 fouls per game for his career, but yeah, that's, that's who okay. Was. Yeah. That, that one will work too. That one will work too. Yeah. I mean, and I, yeah. Cause like, like Durant, like Durant could go out and if it's like Katie, yo, go get me, go get me 14 rebounds tonight. He will go get you 14 rebounds. Like he will do that. And I don't know if Jared could do that. Jared, you know, that's just one of the things. And I don't want that to be a thing where people, constantly criticized Jaron for because you know maybe this is he wasn't he wasn't a great rebounder at Michigan State that may just that's not who he is as a player no. um but but that and that goes back to how we talk about players these days is it, it is a lot of of what it's too much talk about what players can't do rather than what they can do and what Jaron can do outweighs by far the things that he can't do sure okay. and I think like considering his skill set, how much time he spends on the wing, like how many threes that he shoots, if he can just find a nice little sweet spot of six to eight rebounds a game, I think that's perfectly acceptable for his skill set, what role he plays on the team, and that'd be perfectly fine going forward. I remember when they played the Bulls in their home opener this past year, I was at the game, and I think he grabbed 13 rebounds in that game, and he was dominant on the glass versus Wendell Carter and Mark and uh, Laurie Markkinen. And I'm thinking, wow, he's, you know, this is an area of his game that he's developing. And, you know, that's just not the way it ended up going. But he's still young, and I think he'll figure that part area of his game out sooner rather than later. Speaking of a player who's battled injuries his first couple of years, I love Wendell Carter. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I remember. I remember from the – the draft talk, you were very high on Wendell Carter. Yeah, well, because I, I just thought the whole thing with the Grizzlies that draft was like, you just, you you got to get somebody that, like, knows how to play. Like, somebody, like, don't draft somebody, like, that is not good or don't, like, take, like, the Michael Porter Jr. thing, like, scared the crap out of me because mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, this dude has had multiple back surgeries. Like, I know the talent when you watch him on video, but 
we've had so many injuries already on our team and Chandler Parsons had been signed for 94 million. And I'm like, do we really need to draft a guy that's, got, that's had multiple back surgeries already? It's ironic, you, it's ironic you say that considering Jaron's now been in hibernation for something like 300 days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's one of those, they're taking, they're, they're, they're taking their time with them. Yeah. I think it's just, they are, they are being, I think they're being extra cautious with them right now um, because Look at somebody like Jonathan Isaac, you know, like Jonathan Isaac comes back and did he come back too early when he came back in the, like, and you know, when he tears his ACL, like, I mean, it's, it's weird with, and here's the other thing too, Jaron is still growing. Like Jaron is now legit seven feet tall and he was not seven feet tall when the Grizzlies drafted him. He was like six ten and a half. He is like a legit seven footer now. Um, and that's also something you have to take into account when you're talking about someone that is that tall and that agile and that they're continuing to grow and you're talking about a knee injury. Like you, you, I said, I, I get it. I, I mean, I understand being cautious from a fan's perspective. Is it frustrating? Yes. Because as like the fan in me, I am like, Oh, I want to see him play. Cause I know he's really good. But the other side of me is like, you know, like the, looking at it as an analyst, I'm like, I, I totally get it. Like you want to, you're going to have a lot invested in this guy. You want him to be 100%, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so John, yeah, you you have the next two picks here. Oh, next two? Yeah, oh because it's round two and around two to start around three. We're going big. This was the game two of the 2015 series against the Golden State Warriors. This was the Mike Conley game, right? You know, he came back with oh, the yeah. gone. Well, that's not where we're going with. Tony Allen was mic'd up for this game. And when TA jumped in the passing lane and stole it, went down to the other end. Dunked it with one hand. That's the play he actually pulled his hamstring on, too. And he ended up being <laughs> not nearly as good the rest of the series. But then he came down and he pointed and he looks over at uh, who I don't remember who was calling the game for TNT and looks at him and starts yelling, first team all defense. See, that would be a top shot moment if you had that audio in there. You oh, know, because a lot of times when you open top shot packs, you turn on the audio and it's just like some music playing or whatever. Like if you had that, see, these are other things they can do too. If you have that audio in there, that makes an amazing moment to have. Yeah, I think the uh, hilarious thing about the fact that he pulled his hamstring that game is he went on and played a couple more games in that series. Yeah. And it was, they ended up pulling out game three at home and the Warriors made a big surge in the fourth quarter. You could tell they were starting to figure some things out. This probably isn't good. But going into game four, optimism was high. I thought the Grizzlies are going to win the series. And from the opening tip of game four, Andrew Bogut is guarding Tony Allen. And Tony Allen is not really able to take advantage of that quickness advantage because of that hamstring, really. It was really hampering him. It was clearly inhibiting his movement in a lot of ways. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't think I or any coach or most other coaches in the NBA would have thought of that type of adjustment. So I'll give kudos to Steve Kerr to think to do that because I remember watching from the opening tip that the Grizzlies offense, the first few possessions with Bogut just hanging back in the paint. And I thought, Oh my gosh, they are cooked. <laughs> they are cooked with Tony Allen on the court right now. They cannot get anything going towards the basket because he, um, a defensive player of the year candidate for many years, is just hovering around the basket because he doesn't have to worry about Tony Allen. It's broken down state. Yeah, and then wasn't there a – I think it was towards the end of the third quarter. I may have the wrong game here, though. But wasn't it towards the end of the third quarter? Like the Grizzlies in that game four – 
they started making, I don't know if it was like a run run, but maybe they had scored like four or six straight points. And it looked like, okay, well, maybe they're going to have some hope going the fourth quarter. And then, like, Steph Curry hit, like, a three-quarters court shot to end the quarter at the buzzer. And it's like, oh, God. Game six, like, you could tell. You know how you could just That was six. That was game six. That was game six. You you could just feel the flow of a game. And even though it's a tight, close game, you just feel they're hanging on by a thread. That was one of those games. They were fighting for all they could. And they, so you thought they were going to have the final possession of that third quarter. And Curry stole the ball from Jeff Green and looked clearly like a foul, like he hit him on the arm to mm. take the ball from him. Instead, heaves that from the three point line. And I, it, it sounded like there was weeping going on in the FedEx Forum after that shot went in. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, I have never been more certain. It's, it's not often that I see a game winner get made at the end of the third quarter. But there was no doubt in my mind that that game was over right then and there. It, it reminded me of when Mario Chalmers hit the game time three to send it into overtime. You don't remember overtime. Nobody remembers overtime. Yeah, like, like, you knew it was over. You knew it yeah. was going into that. And it was the same. I, I'm not kidding you. I don't remember one play from overtime in that I don't game. Remember. That Memphis, Kansas game. I don't remember anything about overtime. Mm-hmm. It was like that. That was it. Um, mm-hmm. My next one, we're going to go the 2011 – Playoffs, game four against San Antonio. This is one of my favorite calls all time of Eric Castletine because I was sitting uh, – I, I was as a fan, but I was sat in the row that was right in front of where he's calling it from. And, of course, we got the audio later, and we, we played it on our show all the time. This is one of – I mean, this is one of my favorite sequences in Grizzlies history. Uh, Tony Parker's kind of like driving in and goes for a shot. Darrell Arthur comes from behind, blocks the shot, O.J. Mayo picks it up, dribbles the ball down the court, and Arthur comes flying all the way, runs the entire floor, and O.J. Mayo lobs it up to him. And I want to say this put the Grizzlies up 101 to 84. Popovich calls timeout. You dropped a bomb on me, hits immediately, and that place is just going insane. And that was actually the real moment where it felt like we're better than them. Like, we are going to win this series. Like, we were up two to one. And that game, we officially pretty much put, was nailed it down three to one. But it was like, we've kind of punked them now. Like, we're punking them. Like, we are punking the San Antonio Spurs. Like, nobody does this to the Spurs. And we're doing that. We are punking the Spurs right now. We're better than them. Uh, I'll never forget that play. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that because I remember, I'll never forget what Pop said at the post game presser of that game. He said they, put their they put their foot on our throat and then they just never let go and it was I think he had a quote later on in the offseason and don't quote me on this but he said something along the lines of it was that play when I knew we were probably going to lose the series like I that that play I think I still have the audio y'all give me your emails and I'll shoot it to you I still have the audio of that play Mm-hmm. I still have it on my on the computer at work. Yeah, it, it is. And I'll listen to it from time to time. That play, I mean, it was, I, it was either you dropped the bomb on me or it was, boom, there it is. And it, I mean, it started, it was so crazy. Like Arthur flew, because you, when OJ threw that ball up, you're like, what, what, what is he doing? And Arthur just flew out of nowhere, uh-huh. grabbed it and just, I mean, it was a hammer. And it was Popovich just got up, took a step out of the court and just did the timeout signal. Like, all right, timeout. And then the music started immediately. I mean, it was, it was as loud as I've ever heard that arena. 
Yep. Man, talk talk about an underrated Grizzly too with Darrell Arthur. A lot of the stuff that he did in his time in Memphis is very like Clark-esque. Granted, he wasn't like as productive or anything as Clark is, but you know, they're both super bouncy, kind of tweener for uh, tweener bigs. They can play some five, they can play some four. They both had a little signature shot with uh, Darrell Archer's mid-range jumper around the elbow and then Brandon Clark's floater. And then I think it was after that, after that playoff run, he had ruptured his Achilles, missed the entire next season at age 23. And it just kind of like derailed his career a little bit. And even then, like towards his Denver run too, when they shipped him, shipped him out for Costa Kufis, you can see where he was starting to implement a little three ball as well. That's a career I really wish would have panned out because yeah. that was a fun player. And he was very good at adapting to his situations. And I think he could have made a nice little stretch for down the road and into like this, like this would have been like kind of like the twilight of his career. I think he could have done like a little bit of what Thaddeus Young is doing right now. No, he, I, I, I no, I'm with you. I, I tell you one thing he did, he doesn't have, I mean, he, he had athleticism. He doesn't have Brandon's, you know, bounce. One thing he he was better at defending the pick and roll than what Brandon is, um, mm-hmm. and he he was very good defensively in the pick and roll. And then yeah, I mean he had the he had the torn pectoral, and then he was healthy for a little bit when we had that little run, and then boom, he ruptured the Achilles. That's just a guy. It, it's he's just one of those like man, that guy could have had maybe a ten to fifteen year career as a role player if he if, if the injuries wouldn't have happened to him. And it's funny because what job. Bob Arant and Tyus Jones are for floaters right now with this current Grizzlies team. Darrell Arthur and Marcus All in those early years were that for spot up mid range shots. Oh, yeah. Just an absolute, mm-hmm. like you knew as soon as they were shooting it from that range, it was going in. It was also, especially for Darrell Arthur, <laughs> I don't know what percentage of his shot attempts it made, but it was a significant chunk of them. But here's the true tragedy for him, I think, as far as his career trajectory is concerned. Um, he played 41 games for Denver back in 2017, which was his next to last season. And then he only played 19 games in his final season. But in 2017, he shot 45% from three on three attempts a game. You could only wonder, like, if he had stayed healthy to this point, like how he could be thriving as a stretch four man, like Parker said. But also – he, he's just another one of those guys you think if only he'd come around maybe five or six years later than when he did. And think about the damage he'd be able to bring from beyond the arc. And this, Oh, I mean, I just, yeah, if he could have stayed healthy and you look at Darrell like now, um, you know, would you, or you mentioned Thaddeus Young or like even what a PJ Tucker could do. Uh, right. Now PJ Tucker, a lot of times is stand in the corner, but also can be a tough defensive player and things like that. Uh, imagine what he could do, like what Darrell would be like. I look at him and I imagine him playing in Brooklyn with those guys. I mean, he can set screens. He can rim run with those guys. He can pop out for what I mean, Joe Harris is like an amazing shooter and he's always been an amazing shooter, but like he's playing with Kyrie Irving, James Harden and Kevin, Durant so naturally he's shooting his best percentage ever from the three-point line because you're always wide open like Terrell Arthur if he if he was taking three to four threes with Brooklyn these days like what was it what would his percentage be just because of how open you would be and then I think being an interchangeable defensive player too on screens and everything I mean yeah it it, it is he he is a guy that if if he could have stayed healthy and then the other one yeah if he would have just come around maybe five six years later 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, Nate, you got the next pick up here. So I'm trying to look this up to see what time of year it was, but this one is not that consequential in the grand scheme of things, considering how the season shortly went to hell right after this. But I'm going to go with Mario Chalmers' game-winning shot from the free throw line against the Detroit Pistons at home back uh, – I think it was near the tail end. Of the uh, I remember that one. That was a fun one. Yeah, it was um, – he he goes up for the shot. He kind of loses the ball in midair. In, in interjecting real fast, Detroit had a lot of bad luck with Memphis that year. It was earlier that year that Matt Barnes hit a game-winning three from half court. <laughs> They were really struggling at the buzzer against the Grizzlies that year. But he kind of goes up. He kind of loses the ball and catches it on the way down and just kind of heaves it from, like, the left hash mark of the free throw line. And it goes in. And Chalmers had already established himself at that point as one of the best backup point guards in franchise history. But when you think back on neat regular season moments, like, hey, this didn't matter that much. But for me as a fan, that was pretty cool to see. Um, we've already mentioned the 2008 title game and Chalmers himself says he didn't sleep the night before he came to Memphis because he was worried about the fan reception he was going to have. It was nice to have a little bit of a redemption arc for him to just see this guy, like not really resentment. Like it's not like he did anything wrong. He was just doing his job back in 2008 for Kansas and they won a national championship because of it. But to see somebody who was universally hated by people who lived in a singular geographic area come to beloved that same player in a short period of time, that was pretty cool to see. And that moment was kind of the culmination of that. Yeah. And that, that moment is what kind of Memphis kind of started embracing um, Mario Chalmers, and then we went from Darrell Arthur to Chalmers. You'll talk about injuries. Mario Chalmers was setting himself up for a big payday with that season he, when he got traded from Miami to the Grizzlies, how he was playing. Um, he had really set himself up to have a very nice payday. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was, what, the game in Boston when he did it? Or, yeah, mm-hmm. Boston, yeah, it was on national television, too. It was an ESPN game and pop, yeah. you know, the Achilles. And it's do you remember the – I know Parker wasn't there for this, but I was here for it because we were both covering the Grizzlies for Beale Street Bears back at the time. But do you remember the scrimmage, the inter-squad scrimmage the Grizzlies had in South Haven before the 2017-18 season? Uh, I never went to the inter-squad scrimmages. Yeah, I never went to those. But, yeah, I mean, I know they always had them. Yeah, so I still have trust issues from that because when the Grizzlies brought back Chalmers – for that season, two seasons later. In that scrimmage, Chalmers looked great. Like, he looked just like he had two years prior. He was moving well. He was finishing at the remedy. Honestly, outplayed Conley in that scrimmage. And I was beating my drum, but Conley was a top five point guard going into that season. And to watch him, like, his body just not have it anymore. He just didn't have the quickness, burst, and explosiveness to get through the rigors of an NBA season at that point. I still have trust issues from that because I thought he was going to be a very good complimentary backup guard. And it, when you had those memories from him two seasons ago, it just kind of like, I don't know what to think anymore when I see guys do well in preseason and training camp because of that one scrimmage. Yeah, no. and then he, he also had the um, – you know, he, he like the other thing with the, with that injury was like he was he was a very quick uh, and physical defensive player, and 
like, I mean, it was gone. Like, he could not yeah. he could not stay in front of anybody. It's crazy. I remember when he hit that. You know, the other thing, too, about that shot against Detroit that he hit to win the game. Um, and he had – what, he scored – how many did he score in the game? It was like 28 or 29, 27. I mean, he scored in the 20s in that game, I believe. I was that? It was in the 20s, I think. I'm pulling yeah. it up right now. Yeah. At home against Detroit, he scored 25, and he got the start. So, it was a game that Mike Conley was out. He had 25, yeah. eight assists, and four steals. And so, I remember after the game, you know, Twitter, the first, I'm not kidding you, the first thing I saw on Twitter was Dwayne Wade treat, tweeting in all caps, Rio, with a bunch of exclamation points on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Which tells you what the guys in Miami thought of him, even though I know LeBron yelled at him a bunch. Like, the, like his teammates in Miami really did like him. Yeah, and it was one thing that I really hated for Mario Chalmers because if it wasn't for that injury or that time that he came back to Memphis that second time, his mem- the memory of Mario Chalmers would be better. I guess it would, I guess I'm really saying that more than anyone probably actually thinks that because he was just like what Nate said, like an absolute shell of himself. And like honestly, when he had come to Memphis for that first stint. You could argue that it was probably the best – it would have been the best one-season run a Grizzly had behind maybe Tyreek, but the difference was Chalmers was actually productive to winning, and Tyreek just got his stats and made sure he got paid for his next contract. But I was also really furious that the Grizzlies let go of Wade Baldwin, the first-round <laughs> pick the year prior for a veteran that was a shell of himself. And what ultimately ended up really being – like a very lost season that yielded Jaron Jackson Jr. I really wish they just would have had that development time, but also Nate can attest. I, I was relentlessly on Wade Baldwin Island until he washed away out of the NBA. <laughs> you, you were on his island until he was gone. and was no longer in the league. So, yeah. I, that is one island that I died on. And, you know, I was just like, you know, Big physical 6'4 guard. He shot 43% from three at Vandy. And then, you know, Memphis cuts him. He gets picked up by Portland. And he has like this one game where he was like bothering James Harden just a little bit. And I'm just like, see, they're going to be wrong. And then, sure enough, he's, I think he's out like in Greece right now from what's on his Instagram. So I still even periodically check up his stats too. Yeah. Do you, do you know uh, one, of, one of your friends is in a toxic relationship with their significant other, and you just want nothing better for them to move on and, like, find something better? When Wade Baldwin went to Portland, like, Parker would send me texts of him, like, playing, like, seven or eight minutes and be like, man, he looks so good on defense. He's going to be the next Avery Bradley, man. You just wait. I'm like, Parker, Parker. Let it go. <laughs> it, it was definitely like my worst island of all time. I don't think that is, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, I will tell you one that I was on that I, that I was on and he just has not panned out. He's been a G league guy. And I don't know if he's even in the G league right now. I think he's still in the G league. Like, and I just, I could not believe it didn't pan out with him. Um, and it like never did. And I, I was still holding out hope for like two or three years. And then I just realized, and that's when I just kind of gave it up was uh, James Young, the kid from Kentucky. Oh yeah. yeah. The lefty that could shoot it. Like dude, he could shoot the cover off the ball, man. And I'm like, this guy is going to be perfect for the way the NBA is going. And it just never happened. Let, let me let me share. So I have an anti-island. And, like, I do have islands for players that I really like that I think will be really good. But 
I beat my drum for two years that Andrew Harrison was terrible and will never be a good NBA player, and nobody listened to me. And I was more up, I was less upset, no matter how terrible it is in principle, that you cut a first round pick after one year with him, um, especially when you were comparing him to Russell Westbrook and the programs that you handed out at the game. Like that, that, that looks abs- absolutely ridiculous. But I was more upset that they didn't wave Andrew Harrison instead of Wade Baldwin, rather, rather than cutting Wade Baldwin in a vacuum. I looked up Andrew Harrison last week, and he's playing in China. You know what he's doing in China right now? He's averaging eight points a game on 34% shooting, and people were comparing this man to Andre Miller for two years. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, he did – hey, he gave us one moment. Well, two, if you want to count – he was so oh, scared. Yeah. He was so scared about getting into the offense that he just walked the ball up the court and got an eight-second violation and physically <laughs> about to rip his head off for that. Like he was just so scared about trying to get the team with their offense. Like he just he had to move that slow because the game was way too fast for him. But he did have the chase down block in the Spurs series. He did. Mm-hmm. He did. I will only that That's yeah. the real chase down block, LeBron. <laughs> Yeah, so I got the next two picks, and I'm going to go with two before Grant and Grind ones. The first one I'm going to do is that dunk on uh, that Pau Gasol had on Kevin Garnett in the pyramid. He like, had it in the post baseline, spun, and just jammed it on KG. Just like when you look back at like, you know, like when they were like when a player was young, like kind of like the whole thing that you were talking about at the beginning of the show, Roser, where uh, you want to make sure you're investing in the rookie ones because you never know where it ended up. That's what I wish that we had top shot for with that Pagasol dunk because it's this young. I think he was, I mean, he was still kind of raw at the time. It was before he became an all-star. This baby-faced Spaniard just turned around and had one of the most violent dunks on a MVP candidate big man. Yeah, no, and uh, well, the other thing, this is where you'd want audio too, is because at the time Kevin Harlan was calling Minnesota so the Timberwolves games, um, he was their play-by-play guy. Their, tele- their television voice was Kevin Harlan. And he, on the call, said, K- he yelled, K-Pasa, big ticket. And that, like, yeah, I mean, it's a very – you can find it on YouTube. It's a, that's a very famous play call uh, from Kevin Harlan. That, no, no, that, that was on my list. You took it from me. Well, I'm glad I was able to take that. I'm glad I got a good one out of this. And this one, like, when I was building my big board of top shots, this – Randomly came out of my old memory bank here. And it's this shot that I don't, Roser, you might remember this more than like Nate would just because you're older than us. But there was that play towards the end of the 04 05 season. It was against the Spurs. They were inbounding the ball on the sideline and the clock started too early. But it didn't matter anyways because Mike Miller still was able to get his shot off from three and hit a game-winning three. Like it's like the season finale, I think. I was there. That that shot was crazy. It. Yeah, I remember it. Yep. Yeah, I, oh, you know, just I like investing in my favorite players, and so I just my all-time favorite Grizzly, Mike Miller. I just wanted to had that one top shot of him. That was probably one of his coolest plays as a Grizzly. So I'm gonna go with that one from for my last pick here. I dig it. You, since you mentioned the uh, Pau Gasol, Kevin Garnett one, um, 
I'll say how unbelievably frustrating it was because outside of that moment, Kevin Garnett generally dominated that matchup with Pau Gasol while he was in Memphis. And once Pau Gasol got to L.A., he's whipping Kevin Garnett in Boston like the 2010 finals. Gasol vastly outplayed Garnett in that series. And I remember sitting here thinking like, you know, where was this? <laughs> where was that? No, I remember like, oh, God, don't get I mean, Vernon and I have told the story a million times on the air uh, when we're sitting there at a, at a Grizzlies Blazers game. Um, the NFL playoffs are going on, too. So I'm guessing this was probably in January, late December, early January. And they're playing the Portland Trail Blazers. And we ended up leaving the game early, uh, probably sometime in the fourth quarter, probably like with like five, four or five minutes to go. And we went over to uh, Southland Park uh, to play some casino games and watch the rest of the Packers-Falcons game. And um, the reason we left is um, Pau Gasol was getting absolutely dominated by Zach Randolph and Rasheed Wallace. <laughs> um, like, it, it, it just wasn't fair at all. They were taking turns on him. <laughs> like, hey, she, you post up on Pau now. We'll throw you the ball. Now you just bully ball him down low. And then Zebo would do the exact same. And there was this drunk guy sitting above and behind us who kept yelling because Zebo was just killing Pau. And he's yelling, 16 ain't half of 50. 16 ain't half. Except he's like really, really loud. Like everybody can hear it. And, you know, for being a drunk guy, his math was right. You know, like 16 is not half of 50. So, he was, he was right, but yeah. No, I remember back before uh, Randolph became a Grizzly, he used to be one of the biggest Grizzly killers ever. I remember specifically going to a game when he was in Portland, and I remember this too because in my room, I, I used to sit by the, vi the visitor's tunnel, and he threw his armband to me that said Zebo on it. Super cool full circle now. But I remember one time he put up like 43 and 17 on the Grizzlies. I don't know if it was when they were a playoff team or not, but I just remember how demoralizing it is because, you know, as a kid, when it comes to other teams, like a lot of the times I just know like the best players or like players that I thought were cool on 2K. But I was just like, who is this Zach Randolph guy and why is he killing us? Oh, and no, he did. He used to destroy us. There's, a, there's another funny clip, speaking of Zebo. Um, my last, my last moment actually involved Zebo, but there's another one you can go find. Remember when he was playing with the Clippers and he punched Lou Admondson, who was playing for the Suns. Um, mm -hmm. he punched Lou at, and Eddie Johnson, who does TV for the Suns. He, he's like their analyst. He's like their, uh, he's like their Brevin Knight, a former player before he used to play in the NBA. Um, he said, now. If you're Lou Admondson, you have to understand there are certain guys in this league you just don't want to make mad. And there are guys in this league who do not care about the rules, and they will punch you in the game. And Zach Randolph is one of those guys. So, like, if it, to me, this is all on Lou. This is Lou's fault here. Like, what are you doing, man? You know, <laughs> like Zemo punched him in the game because Lou Admonson was that kind of guy. Like he would irritate you. And he's like, and that, you know, like that's the kind of player Lou is, but he's got to understand here, man. There's certain guys you can't play like that with. Like they're not going to tolerate it. I think it extends to off the court as well, because even like, especially near the end of his time in Memphis, 
you would hear these stories and whispers that would be connected to Zach Randolph off the court that kind of just gave you this vibe that he's a big teddy bear. He does amazing things for the community. But this guy, he's also got a little bit of a dark side. And I really don't want to see that dark side turned up at any moment. Oh, Zach's the best. Like, Zach, okay. I'm not kidding. So I saw Zach in – Zach is the absolute best. But, yeah, no, he's a guy you're not going to walk up to and, like, do, be disrespectful to. Like, no, like, no you don't do that to him. He's, he's not going to take that as like a lot of people wouldn't, but like, I'm not kidding. Like I saw him in uh, I saw him in Vegas at summer league two years ago. And he was, I was getting on the elevator to go downstairs. We're at the Aria. I was getting on the elevator to go downstairs and he was getting off the elevator and he saw me. He's like, Hey, what's up, man. And I was like, good Zach. Good Zach. He's like, how's your mom doing, man? I know you and your mom are close. How's your mom doing? And I'm like, I didn't even know he knew that. <laughs> but like, I was like, that's pretty crazy. And I was like, she's great, man. She's great. He's like, tell her I said hi. I was like, all right. So yeah, Zach, Zach is a big teddy bear, but just like with anybody, everybody's got their limits, you know, everybody's got their boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, so. finish, I'll finish off of a Zach Randolph moment here. And we haven't mentioned any Grizzlies and Clippers moments to this point. So I'll go ahead and finish with one there. Um, game three of the first round series against the Clippers in 2013. Grizzlies are kind of reeling after that game two loss to go down 2-0. Chris Paul hits the runner at the buzzer with Tony Allen hanging on him to give the Clippers the win. And you're like, ah, this one may not even go seven like it did last year. This is not looking too good at this point. And the Grizzlies come out hot in game three. They're doing well. And they're up in the first quarter. And Zach Randolph goes up for a rebound. And he and Blake Griffin are going up for the rebound. And Zach kind of comes down hard. And he kind of lands on his back and rolls over. And he's not moving. And you could hear, like, a pin drop in the FedEx form because, like, everybody's thinking, oh, he's hurt. Like, this is not good. He's not hurt. And he lays there for a minute. And then he starts doing push-ups. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like in retrospect, when you think back on it, it was like it was in the moment you're thinking, oh, he's good. He's OK. But like when you look back on it, like knowing how that series and that season turned out, it was kind of like even at a 2-0 deficit, like relax. We got this. We got this. It's going to be good. And the and other reason, yeah, no, the, well, the other reason I remember that game is because I had Dave Matthews tickets that night night at uh at snowden grove and um the game was like a four o'clock game in the afternoon i'm like maybe like if it gets done here like you gonna get down there like i might miss like the first couple of songs but i can get down there and then no i never had a chance of making it down there and i ended up uh i had to put my tickets on like StubHub and sell them dang yeah i you know i thought about it in the middle of our conversation and nate just further emphasizes this point of Grizzly Clipper moments. I am absolutely pissed that I went with my heart on the Mike, Con on the Mike Miller pick when the Marcus Saw Clippers moment was right there, that corner three in the Conor regular McGregor. season. Do what? When he, does, when, he does, when he does the Conor McGregor walk. Yeah, when he does yeah, the McGregor walk. Yeah. I'm mad at myself for letting that one slip by. But hey, Nobody's done Courtney Lee, Ryan, the booty call Ryan Hopkins. Collins to Courtney Lee. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Look, look that was a, they were down 27 in that game. Like they were down like 27, 28 points in that game. Yeah. Uh, I think the reason I've kind of blocked that moment out and like it was an incredible moment. And I like watched it for rewatched it for days afterward. Courtney Lee has just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth over the years. Like he was a good player for the Grizzlies, but 
I remember especially when he was in New York. You remember when Wade Baldwin like threw up a half court heave at the final buzzer when the Grizzlies were up yeah. by seventeen. It was like the last one of the last games of the season. The Grizzlies are up by 17, and Baldwin just kind of heaves a three up, and it ends up going in. And I remember Courtney Lee marching over to him, looking like he wanted to fight, and he had to have his teammates kind of pull him away. And he got in his post-game interviews, and he's saying, like, um, he don't belong in this league. He don't have the respect to do something like that. And I'm thinking, Courtney, you literally refused to shoot the basketball half the time when you were in Memphis. Like, it drove me absolutely crazy on a team that needed perimeter shooting. And he was the team's best perimeter shooter. He was so reluctant to shoot the basketball half the time. And as good of a shooter as he was, I swear he stagnated the Grizzlies' offense at times because of his reluctance. Yeah, no, I, I totally I'm, – I'm totally with you on that. I also do know uh, Wade Baldwin got lit in to uh, – he, like, he got lit in by – by players and coaches in that locker room after that game. They mm-hmm. laid into him for doing that. Like coaches and players on the Grizzlies team did. Like they they were, yeah, like co- our coaches and players were not happy about him doing that either. That was kind of one of Wade Baldwin's issues. Um, he didn't care what anybody else thought. He already thought he was awesome and really good and uh, was, you know, kind of a prick to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the fun fact with that shot, is if it wasn't for that three, instead of his three-point percentage being 13%, it would have been 9%. So he's doing himself a favor with the stats. Give it a maybe that three-point percentage. Get the teens. Get the teens. There we go. Uh, my so, last one is uh, – it, it's my last one, right? Am I, yeah, am I, last one. Okay, my last one. Uh, this would be – I believe this was game six – of the 2011 playoffs against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And this happened, I think, I think it was game six. Maybe it was game four. No, it wasn't game four. Game four, we lost. And game four was the Monday night, uh, the Monday night triple overtime thriller where I didn't go to bed until like three o'clock in the morning because we were there until like 1 a.m. at the game. Um, I believe this is game six against, against, um, against Oklahoma City. And I believe also with this game, this would be a moment. Al Green, I think, sang the national anthem at this game, too, which was awesome. Um, and it's the only time he's ever seen the national anthem at FedEx Forum or for the Grizzlies. Uh, but Zebo, I believe it's Zebo at the free throw line late in the game. The Grizzlies are trying to close this game out to force a game seven against OKC. And this happened completely organically. Everybody in the arena started holding up. They just held them up. They didn't wave them around. Held up their Believe Memphis towels all at the same time. Um, or it's like one section started and then it went to the next section. And then it, it was almost like the wave happening, which the wave sucks, but this did not suck. This was everybody holding up their Believe Memphis towels and it went all the way around the lower bowl. And then it just started happening in the club level and then it, or the pinnacle level now, and then all the way up to the upper deck. And it happened all the way around the, I mean, it was, it was an awesome moment. Um, and the Grizzlies were able to close it out. I got kind of inebriated at that game because, again, I wasn't doing post-game at the time, so I was there as a fan. Like, I had bought tickets. Um, I had tickets for all the playoff games that year. And um, I remember running into Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy 
after the game as they were trying, they were walking their luggage back to their hotel. I guess they're, they were staying at the Peabody. And I was like, we got him on Sunday. We got him. And Jeff Van Gunn is like, hey, 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 great game tonight, man. <laughs> and they yeah. did not, in fact, have them on Sunday. <laughs> no, no. In fact, we did not have them on Sunday. <laughs> did not, no. Well, yeah, so that is the conclusion of our Top Shot Grizzlies draft. And that was really fun. I know our, our listeners uh, – well, there's tons more we could do. We didn't even do James Johnson throwing the ball off the backboard to himself and dunking it on James Johnson neck tattoo night. Or we didn't do the Matt Barnes half-court shot either. Yep, there's the Matt Barnes half-court shot. Yeah. Here's, oh, I, there, here's, the, here's another one. It's not even a play, but Zach Randolph telling Kendrick Perkins he's going to beat his ass at the free throw line <laughs> is also amazing. Like, who wouldn't want to have that top shot? Yeah. And uh, a famous Memphis hit, we don't bluff, came from that incident as well. Absolutely. Fucking on Yao Ming. Oh, yeah. Strowman, Strowman could have had a bunch in there. Oh, yeah. Strowman had one where he, he yammed on dirt, too. Like, Strowman had a ton. He was vicious, man. Oh, he, yeah. I remember uh, it was a conversation on our Starting Five podcast where the ESPN had, like, done a list of uh, every – franchise's most iconic dunker and ESPN did jaw I guess recent he's a great dunker but recency bias and all of them were like it's easily Stromile Swift I mean he's the only player in franchise history known for his dunking his yeah. name was the Stro show for a reason yeah Stromile absolutely absolutely we didn't even do a J-Will moment think about how many passes J-Will made that were unbe- it's like they're too many you can't just even do one with J-Will they're just way too many of them there, there's also there's also one too that I'm very fond of, and it's probably my favorite end of the bench player in NBA history. And it was that time where Hameda Dotti got an, an offensive rebound and he pump fake shacked and just did a drop set and just jammed it on him. And I think oh, in the yeah. first game interview, he said, uh, I dropped steps and I dunked that shit or something. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I just fell in love with the Dotti, man. Like, there's, a, there's another one in the locker room after the game. Um, this was back when Bobby Jackson was our backup point guard. Um, and it, we could just get the locker room moment where he just says, I just got to get back to playing Bobby Jackson basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're a backup point guard speaking of the third person, man. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I like that confidence. I like that confidence. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Jay Will, and this may be um, – uh, maybe uh, maybe because I'm white, I'm supposed to love Jay Will in Memphis, maybe. But really, the only two moments I have of Jay Will that I can really – the two most significant moments I can remember is the Jeff Calkins in, uh, press conference incident, yeah. which, which is hilarious. Uh, Calkins still uses it as his intro to his radio show, which I think is really funny. And also, Hubie Brown consistently benching him in crunch time for Earl Watson. That, that yes. awesome. and, and then Jay Will also – he never talked to the media – and the first time he was here and he decided to talk to the media, uh, the media relations director, her name was Stacy Mitch at the time, comes in the locker room and says, Jay, Jason's going to talk tonight. And everyone's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, and Jay will, the, he just gets, they get all the recorders in front of him. He says, we suck. We suck. We're the worst team in the league. We suck. 
And then that was it. That's <laughs> all he said, he laughed. I, I even, I'm glad he felt the need to get that off his chest. <laughs> he was clearly, clearly had to get that off of his chest. There's a, there's a, Ben, if, if you could do locker room moments, there are so, there's Zach Randolph one time. It's me and Chris Vernon and my buddy and Chris Raby, who now works in St. Louis and does a lot of stuff with the Cardinals, but he was doing a lot of he, – he had an afternoon show on Sports 56, and he, uh, he he did a lot of stuff working with the Grizzlies. And we're in the locker room, and, like, we're, it's just kind of us three there, and there are other people interviewing, and I don't know who else they're interviewing, but we're kind of just, like, standing there by Zach's locker, and, like, they're like, dude, Raby's like, hey, Rose are burning. Look at Zach's vest, and it is a camouflage vest with a monkey head on it and a giant monkey on the back of it, and down the, the front sides of the vest, it says, no monkey-ish. <laughs> we were like, and Zach comes out, and we're like, we're like, Zach, where did you get that vest? And he goes, I got a vest guy. You want me to get you one? <laughs> we're like, you have a vest guy. Like, no, no, not just a guy who gets you, like, you know, your pants and your socks and your shirts. No, you got a guy who just does best for you. That's what he does, his best. And I don't even know how much that best could have cost, but I'm pretty sure ne- neither the three of us could afford it. Oh, easily. Uh, the last funny thing, like this innocuous, dumb thing that I just think is absolutely hilarious in retrospect, probably the saddest rivalry among players in Grizzlies history, and it involves my homeboy, Nick Calathis, Um, the 2014-15 season him and Tony Allen apparently got into a scuffle in practice and literally from that date on you can go back from that date on and look at every single game after this date Tony Allen would not pass the ball to Nick Calathis Calathis was the team's backup point guard and when (laughs) when Tony Allen ever got a rebound he would not pass the ball to Calathis he would say I'm the point guard I'm bringing it up. He thought Calathis sucked. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. 100%. I mean, I remember Calathis coming in the game one time for Mike Conley, and the fans just started to boo. And Mike Conley had to, like, tell everyone to be quiet, and Mike Conley started clapping for him. Um, And then it was one game where Conley missed because of injury. We were playing the Milwaukee Bucks on a Saturday night. It's crazy. This is why I remember this, because Calathis had been absolutely garbage. And we're like, this is when the Bucks weren't good, you know? And we're like, dude, we're going to lose to the Bucks. We are going to lose to the Bucks. Like this is around like Giannis. They either had Giannis. Yeah, Giannis was in the league, I think. Or maybe it's his rookie season or something. Um, and it's like, dude, we're gonna lose the Bucks. Like they're, they're, we're gonna lose to the freaking Bucks because Mike Conley's not playing tonight. And Calathis went out and had like 16 points and like eight or nine assists. And the Grizzlies won. It's like where the hell has this been all season? And Calathis was good the rest of the way, or, you know, as good as he can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and so that's about all the time we have on the show. Uh, John, do you want to go ahead and uh, plug in any stuff that you, you want plugged in? Yeah, sure. Uh, Rise and Grind, Grind City Media. Rise and Grind starts at 8 a.m. every morning. You can watch it live on YouTube. Um, you can get the podcast later, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, any of that. And then obviously I'm on the Chris Vernon show every um, day, Monday through I'm, what? Like I don't, I've been doing this for 15 years. How do I not remember when the show's on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Monday through Friday noon, 
um, at noon, live on YouTube, live on grindcitymedia.com. You can get the podcast afterwards, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, SoundCloud, and then you can also rewatch. The shows are also on YouTube, so if you'd like to rewatch the show, you can just go to YouTube. I know most smart televisions now have the YouTube app on them, and you can just put it up on your TV if you want um, and check it out. And then uh, tonight I'll be on uh, every home game. I do post game on 92.9 with Jessica Benson after the games. For sure. Yeah, y'all make sure y'all do that. Listen to all the shows at Grind City Media and make sure you're also listening to the post game show uh, with Roser and Jessica Benson tonight on 92.9. Nate, do you need anything to plug in? You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Oh, one thing one thing we do have a little bit of news here. I just got sent this. This is uh, Sham Sharania. This will relate to the Grizzlies. Um, this will relate to the Grizzlies. Uh, tonight's game between the Warriors and the Rockets, uh, James Wiseman and Eric Paschal have been entered into the NBA health and safety protocols. I guess that's interesting to do because the Grizzlies do have a doubleheader Friday and Saturday at home against the Warriors. So, you know, there's a chance James Wiseman uh, and Eric Paschal may not be here. And that'd be sad. I was kind of, I know you want to see Wiseman. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you can also find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure. Flocka flame. Yes, sir. And make sure you can. Make sure you're reading the blog at grizzlybearblues.com, following us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies, and make sure you are listening to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow the podcasts on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And Roser, Nate and I have a way we like to close out the show every, every week. Uh, you might remember this from uh, the shirt that Anthony Davis wore on his last night as a Pelican. So does that come to mind? I, I don't remember this shirt. What is this shirt? Nate, have the honors. Um, that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs>